Savage. Austin Jackson back looks up. You can put it on the board. Yeah. Tame center for Kane. He scores. Oh, Patrick Kane set up by Jonathan Tame. The dynamic duo comes through in overtime. Hawk wins. Looking. Finds Rose. Rose trying to get open. Fires away. a new episode of the weekly cloud gate sports podcast uh we got some we, we got some big news baseball wise talking about the no hitter that happened last night wednesday april 14th we got some a uh, little bit of a rustling going on with pat and espn 1000 we'll get into that uh some bears talk just a little bit we'll get into that in a little bit hawks are Hawks aren't looking good. We'll we'll get into that. Uh, They're currently losing to Detroit 3-1 after the second period. Uh, And the Bulls are on and off, we'll say. They're they're dead. They're dead. They're dead. So we'll we'll get into that as well. But So we're going to get right into Bulls talk. Not a lot. Or not Bulls. We'll get into Bears talk. Not a lot to talk about. Just a little Cordero Patterson news. uh, Saying his goodbye on Twitter. Signing a one-year, three million dollar deal with the Atlanta Falcons. I just, I'm just disappointed that the Bears couldn't fork over three million dollars to a guy that backed the team so hard during the season, backed him so hard during the off season, and then it just he started to realize like, hey, I got to do this for me. I can't be looking out for a team that honestly doesn't even really care about me. So it's tough to see him go. Boys, what are your initial thoughts with Cordero going? I mean, I just don't understand it, man. We sit here and we kind of pass on these players. I kind of actually do a lot for our franchise um, on the field and off. I mean, I mean, the guy was selling how about them Bears t-shirts uh, before, like two weeks before free agency. Um, obviously he wanted to stay in Chicago. Obviously he likes in Chicago. Um, and it just comes down to one simple key thing every single time. And it's the front office. They drive away these players. And, and, and at one, at some point it just, it just gets very like aggravating. And as a fan, it sucks. It honestly sucks, um, to know that we're letting go of guys that are honestly good people, um, and good players as well. I mean, this guy, we could have used him every, we, we could have, if we wanted to, and we could have asked him to play defense. Um, so I hate to see him go. I wish him the best of luck because he is a great guy and he will do continue to great, do great things. I mean, in the current state of Chicago, Chicago football, there's not a lot of people that actually want to play for this team right now and play for the front office no. and play for the coaching staff. Cordero was one of those guys. He's one of the guys that overlooked all the BS from the front office to the coaching staff. Loved the city, loved the fans. And he was there to go play football and produce for the fans. And, Guys like that, you don't come across of a lot anymore. Especially guys that are willing to play any position. They're literally like a Swiss Army knife. They want to help the team in any way possible, whether they're starting or they're scout team. 
he was that guy, and we couldn't we couldn't keep him. Um, it sucks. I'd love to actually hear the reasons why, because if it is money, there's no way it could be money, dude. I mean, that's that's three million dollars. You can't fork over three million dollars. Yeah, and, and the thing that with, with me, yeah, we're gonna get three coming back next year. And obviously, having Cordero not be a running back anymore, I'm fine with it. I don't think people realize how big of an asset he was in special teams. Oh, dude, it was ridiculous. So that's what hurts the most. I mean, we have three coming back. We're going to have a little bit more offensive firepower with him coming back. Cordell was a huge person for our kick returns, man. Like, people start kicking away from him. It was, you got off Devin, Hef, Devin Hester vibes when it came to those opening kickoffs because nobody wanted to fucking kick to Cordell. And we just let him walk. It sucks to Falcon fans. If for some reason you're a Falcon fan and you're listening to this podcast. Congratulations. You have a, good, you have a great fucking dude coming to your organization. Enjoy it because he's a ball of energy. And you literally cannot look at that dude and not smile because he's always happy. He's going to do everything under the sun to make that organization do well. He's going to be a great person to cheer for. I wish him all the best. I think every Bears fan wishes him all the best. 100%. It sucks to see him go. Yeah. Last thing I want to talk about with the Bears. Uh, Jim McMahon. Uh, in the news quite a lot recently with the Bears, talking a lot of shit about the Bears. Uh, and Pat, how you were saying players don't want to come here. This just like threw that white into the open. Uh, Jim McMahon was on a podcast this past week uh, and commented on the Bears' uh, QB situation. Basically said that Chicago is where QBs go to die. He also said that the favorite time of his career wasn't winning a Super Bowl with the Bears in 85. It was playing in Green Bay with the Packers. Do you guys have anything on that? It's just it's just very bad to see. Probably the most notable quarterback in our franchise history besides a guy like Smoke and Jay Cutler. But, I mean, for a guy that's known as a Bears quarterback to speak this negatively on the Bears – I mean, it just it looks it makes the organization look absolutely terrible. Like I said, it keeps on zeroing in on this one point of that. One, I think our front office does an awful job of, you know, I think they can maybe go get people, um, but once they bring them in, people actually kind of really see what's behind the scenes. Um, it kind of turns bad, uh, and with the quarterback situation, and here's another thing too. It's hard to play in Chicago. I mean, you have a lot of weight on your shoulders uh, to play any any on any professional team in Chicago uh, because people expect to win um, no matter what. And if people really can't kind of hold that standard, it, it will crush you and it will, like you say, go, kind of almost make you die as, as a professional player. Um, so it's it's not easy to play in Chicago, um, and uh, it's just it's just a tough. It's just anything negative about one of your favorite teams just sucks to see. Like especially something like that. It's just never a good thing to see. Am I surprised Jim McMahon said this stuff? No, I don't think any Bears fan is surprised this stuff came out. True. I am going to call it BS. The fact that he says he wasn't as happiest winning a Super Bowl with that team, I call bullshit on that. That's true. I think I think either that's a publicity fucking stunt. Or he has beef with somebody in the front office and he's trying to slowly piss them off. You can't tell me you were the star quarterback of an 85 team, that 85 team, which was fucking loaded, yeah. and you did not have fun. You didn't. That's bullshit. I refuse to believe that. I think that's a little bit too many hits to his head that he can't even fucking think straight anymore. But, but I will say, 
I'm not surprised PT's 100% right. It all falls back to one area of our organization, and that's Ted Phillips. I don't even know if Ted Phillips is in the organization in 85, but McCaskey sure as hell was. Yeah. It all falls back to one area of the organization, and it's going to keep happening. We have never had a real, like, franchise quarterback, other than, like, Sid Luckman, who I think is our only quarterback who's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, like, it, it, it sucks. Am I surprised? No, I'm not. But I do call a little bit of bullshit on that Jimmy Man thing. I just I can't see you not being happy winning Super Bowl. I just can't. Yeah. Uh so that does it for our Bears talk. We're about to get into something very positive. Carlos Rodon, probably the most deserving guy on that White Sox team before Lucas Giolito, because Giolito deserved it just as much. But Rodon's been through all of the punches with this team when we were well under five hundred dead last in the league. We were absolutely terrible. Ended up getting hurt, uh, had soldier, shoulder surgery, then eventually had Tommy John surgery, came back last year. Rick Renneria throws him into a playoff game against the Oakland A's. Doesn't go the way that we wanted to. Carlos gets hit around a little bit. Doesn't have that control. Doesn't have the velo. Last night, so far this season period, it's been working for Rodon. Last night, his highest fastball was 98 miles an hour, and that was coming in the seventh inning. I mean, just he was gassed up, ready to go. You could just see the energy that he poised on the mound. I mean, it was just electric factory last night. Carlos Rodon, like I said, just absolutely deserving of the no-hitter against a somewhat competent uh, Cleveland Indians uh, lineup. Uh, I know Rodon said after he got that line out from Ramirez to end the inning, uh, he kind of felt that, hey, this is going to happen. The batters that are coming up aren't as good. Unfortunately, Roberto Perez did get hit by a pitch with one out in the ninth. I know a lot of people are calling for uh, Perez to, I don't know, apologize or whatever, maybe, or us to retaliate. Here's the thing. If you're watching the game, you're like, sure, he could have moved out of the way. But when you have a guy that throws a hard slider and it's coming down and in, it's tough. I mean, it barely nicked him. Uh, you, he did kind of try to get out of the way. Uh, but I have no disrespect or I have no hard feelings for Perez. I do have hard feelings forever on uh, Naylor uh, diving into first base on that bang-bang play. Absolute douchebag move. No... No reason for it either. And then for him to come up after diving, yelling at the umpire for calling him out when he was truly out, uh, just it's it's things like that that make me upset when there's a perfect game in the ninth inning. You're down by was it eight runs? Was it six nothing or eight nothing? Eight. I'm pretty sure it was eight, but eight nothing. If eight you're was... down eight nothing in the ninth of a perfect game. Why not at least have that 8 nothing loss be a part of history? I mean, just, I don't know. I get it, and I don't get it, but Naylor's, I don't get it all. That, that was just complete Bush League and no room for it in the game. But besides that, just absolutely congratulations to Carlos Rodon. His wife, Ashley, is a great follow on Twitter if you do not follow her. She comments on the games and stuff. But you will notice last night she knew what was happening. She didn't tweet anything during the game last night. Uh, just awesome to see. I know she said in the seventh inning she started to get emotional because of how hard and how loud the crowd was cheering for Carlos. Because we Chicago fans love Carlos. 
We've been through our struggles. I know some guys like your boy Pat, you got that one buddy who, not a big fan of Carlos, but there's a lot of us that are big fans of him, and he deserved it. And it was awesome to see. I know when he got that last out, everybody on my dorm hall could hear me. It was just absolutely electric. So what do you boys got on the no-no from last night? I don't know where even to start because I think there were so many different emotions that I had. Um, first of all, uh, I didn't even realize that he was going perfect game through six until my roommate pointed out to me. I was like, holy shit, I didn't even realize it. Uh, so then we automatically locked in. Um, and what, a, I mean, there's always going to be, especially in these games, a really close out. Um, and shout out to Jose Abreu. Dude, for what a the, fucking play. His season on the line. I mean, the way he could have landed in that bag wrong and blew out his knee hyperextended it, whatever you thought. And the, the fact that he did that just kind of shows you that the guy Jose Abreu is. And um, if anyone has any doubt if he should be on the team for the rest of his life, you guys are absolutely crazy. Jose Abreu should be a Chicago White Sox uh, player for the rest of his life um, because he deserves this. Um, and I'll kind of get into this in a little bit too. Um, but not to kind of really shine so much light on him because this is Carlos Rodon's moment. Um but him and Rodon definitely, and you know Adam Eaton does too as well because they both, they all, all three of them went through uh, some rough times together a couple of years ago when they were kind of this rebuild uh, was going on, and they even talked about it to uh, the after show um, talking to Stone, and, and it was just like, man, we we wanted to do it all, and this is kind of like the payoff, man. Everything's starting to come together, so the fact that all this stuff is starting to line up is very special. And I couldn't be happier for him because he has gone through hell and back, like his wife said on Twitter. Um, two Tommy John surgeries is unreal. Um, and the fact that not only, I mean, we were talking uh, a year or two ago about the White Sox trying to get in the national light. And the fact that now we're having players like him even get in the national light, too, is just incredible. Um, so shout out to him. Uh, I really don't even want to get into um, – the Perez and Naylor kind of discussion because it's simple as Perez. I mean, you can't be mad at the guy. Um, it's, it's, it's something that's so quick and reactive that. Especially for a guy as big as Perez, it's tough for him to get out of the way of that. It's so tough. It's so tough. Um, but we were discussing earlier with Naylor's play. I mean, if that ball was anywhere else other than first, he wouldn't, he wouldn't even been close. He would have been jogging that ball out. Um, so, but then again, like, this, this guy gets paid to, to, to run hard. So it, it's, it's, I can see arguments from both sides. Obviously, we're going to see um, – obviously, you're going to see – we're obviously going to think it's a douchebag move. Um, but like I said, I don't want to shed any light on that because it's Carlos Rodon's moment. He deserves it. Um, and it was such a cool moment for sure. I kind of fall into PT's boat too. I didn't really realize what was going on until like the fifth or sixth inning. After that absolutely like offensive – show in the first inning i'm like all right i, I turned the game off and icu was playing uh, in the first round of the women's volleyball tournament so i turned that on and then i turned the game back on probably around the fourth fifth inning and my dad's texting me and he's like being really discreet and being really weird i'm like what is he talking about right now and then i see the box score i'm like oh that's pretty interesting to look at i'm like nice so it keeps going a couple more innings. I go into my, my buddy's room, my, my roommate's room. I'm like, hey, uh, just letting you know, there's something pretty cool going on in the Sox game right now. Start texting some of my buddies. Like, hey, you probably want to look at this. Uh, it was it was awesome. I mean, it it sucks. It wasn't a perfect game. But, hey, it's still part of history. Uh, I It's it's going to go down in my history. I can I, mean, I remember Burley's perfect game. 
remember Burley's no-hitter. I remember Philip Humber's no-hitter in Seattle. Perfect game, Philip Humber. That was a perfect game, really? Yes, it was. Shit, all right, even better. And I remember Geo's from last year as well. Like, I remember, this is a cool, very cool moment. There's a lot of people, you know, I'm going to get into it. ESPN 1000. Yep, let's it's, get into it, it, it has to deal with the no-hitter. So, every Tuesday and Thursday morning, I'm up around 6, 30, 7 o'clock to go to work. And I always turn on my Twitch, and I go to ESPN 1000, so I watch Cap and J-Hood in the morning. And I'm like, you have to listen to it on a day after a no-hitter. Regardless of who you are, like, Cap, Cap's obviously a Cubs fan. The first, like, 30 minutes, 45 minutes is all about the Sox. And J-Hood is obviously a huge Sox fan. So I'm, I'm looking in the chat, and there's this guy that his, he, he puts a, a chat in there, and his, his username was, like, Shy Cubs Fan or some shit like that. So keep that in mind. He's like, y'all are acting like you guys just won the World Series. It's just a no-hitter. And I'm like, dude, I don't care what it is. Looking through, seeing what that guy has went through to come and throw a no-hitter, I'm like, you're an absolute clown. Me and him keep barking back and forth, right? He's like, no hitters aren't even that impressive anymore. A dude with a four, a no name pitcher with a 4.0 ERA is going to get his chance every once in a while. And I'm like, are you really? I can't tell if he's being a troll or not. And even the guy, the moderator for ESPN 1000, JR, is chiming in like, dude, you're, this is a horrible take right now. Like, you just witnessed something awesome and you're just going to piss on people's emotions about it. And I chatted back in. I'm like, yo, you're a dumbass. Just because the Cubs are hitting below 200 on a fucking average right now doesn't mean you need to piss on everybody else's dreams. JR's like, all right, Pat, you need, a little, you need to chill out a little bit. So I got a little bit of a temporary ban. I'm not allowed to talk on the channel for 24 hours. But it's like you need to live in the moment. Like this is something awesome to see. And if you're going to be one of those people that comes in and you're like, oh, I wouldn't even care if Wester threw one or Hendricks. That's bullshit. You know that's bullshit. I mean, seeing with that story of that of Rodon, how far he's come. I mean, if you look, even looking at his stats this season, two and zero, a zero ERA, fourteen innings pitched, sixteen Ks, three uh, no earned runs, and three bases up or three walks. For a fifth man, this goes to my my buddy Drew on Twitter. Who I'm barking with. For a fifth man in your rotation, money. Electric. We can't ask for anything more. I don't give two fucks what he did the past couple of seasons. We're well, he's doing right now. now. Exactly. He's, at, he's doing exactly what we need him to do. He's in his mid year, right? He got that. He got lucky. He got a one year extension, and he's making the best of it. Definitely. It was an awesome moment. Uh, Abreu definitely scared the shit out of me in that play. I'm like, oh my god, he probably could just blew up his knee right there. Um, talking with our good friend Bert, a longtime listener of our podcast, who is an Indians fan, he thought that it was a clean, like there's nothing wrong with him sliding in the first. I thought it was a pretty douchey move. Then I kind of started thinking about it a little bit more. Like, PT's right. Like, you do got to hustle out. But if that game is not a no-hitter, I don't think you're sliding. Perfect game at that point. Yeah, right. If that game's game's not a perfect game or not a no-hitter, you're not sliding. Like, you're trying to end that right there. Which is why I have a little bit of beef about it. But, hey, LaRusso went in the uh, post-game interview, and he said he was fine with it. That's competition. That's being competitive. He's got no issues with it. So, regardless, it's Rodon's night. It's an awesome experience. I'm never going to fucking forget it. And it's for a guy like him, it's exactly what you want to see. Yeah. So just kind of going off of Rodon's no-no, I want to talk about the rotation for a second. The rotation has been fantastic. Uh, Giolito has looked awesome. Keuchel, after getting thrown into the fire after Rodon got scratched from his last start, what, a few days ago, Keuchel ends up throwing, does very well. Rodon, obviously, with the no-hitter. Cease has looked improved. His control has been a lot better. Uh, And then Lance Lynn has just been electric. I know he got the loss tonight, but 
he have two runs off that home run. And he just, everybody in the ballpark, like Rodon said last night when he threw that fastball to Ramirez that he hammered, everybody in the ballpark knew that full count, Lance Lynn was going to go with a high fastball, and J-Ram just got a hold of it and put it over the right field fence. So not much you could do there. Again, another tough loss tonight. The Sox are sitting currently at 6-7, and seven, tied for last place with the Twins. So I do want everybody to not panic. Uh, but I am going to throw out some stats right here that might might worry you a little bit, but I'm going to tell you don't worry. Jose Abreu's batting 196. Moncada's batting 186. And Grandal's batting 154. Uh, when I get into the Cubs numbers, this it's is not – It's a lot better than this 70% is not, of the Cubs organization right now. So, so it's not going to look as bad. It's the beginning of the season, and if you know one thing about White Sox hitters – it's that once we get into those summer months of May, June, July, the bats come alive and shit's going to start going. So Moncada is definitely starting to come around, uh, looking a lot better. Uh, I mean, he had a terrible start to the season. So that 186, uh, in my opinion, isn't a true 186. He's been doing a lot better recently. Grandal's just fucking hitting everything into the ground and pulling everything to that shift at second base. And Abreu's just chasing a lot of shit, and that's going to happen after a guy wins an MVP. He's going to want to put everything on his back and just do everything for the team. He just needs to take a step back. You saw it yesterday with the defense. He's going to continue to produce for this team. So what do you guys have so far? And I actually, I guess lastly with the White Sox, your mean Mercedes has just been a fucking machine, just unbelievable. And uh, a lot of people were wondering, can he keep this up? So far, I mean, just absolutely unbelievable. Uh, and I, I, his approach to baseball, you think, sure, big guy, makes contact, he's going to get some knocks, then get a home run every once in a while. His approach at the plate is just bar none. His two-strike approach is awesome. Uh, so it's just awesome to see. So what do you guys have on the White Sox as of late? I think there's a lot of things you really um, you can look into, but I really don't think you guys should get too worried about. Um, it's like we said, and we've been saying it's early. Uh, our rotation has been really performing really well right now, no matter which way you look at it. Um, and when, when I start to look in kind of the hitters uh, and what they're doing right now, um, I will kind of go into some depth here. Um, I know it's still early. Uh, but there are some concerns for me. Um, I've never never been a big fan. I kind of always thought that Grandal was a little overrated at the plate. Um, yeah, he can hit those home runs. Uh, but I just never really kind of I, – I don't know if I'm really kind of speaking out of context here, out of line. Uh, but I think that's just kind of one of my hot takes I've always had. Obviously, where he makes his money is behind the plate um, and his defensive – but I just, especially when he goes to hit up from the right side, I feel like it just kind of uh, falls off. Um, but like we said, it's early. Um, I'm, I'm still very, the, I think the most concerning thing right now, if you're a White Sox fan, is the fact that Robert has not adjusted to staying off sliders. And it is so, so bad. It, it honestly looks like a high school player is going up there and just swinging. I mean, he's not even close to the outside slider. And they do it twice, and he doesn't lay off, then he's fucked, okay? Um, so he puts himself in really bad positions. 
and I can't believe that they haven't really talked to him or adjusted about it. Hopefully they do, because that is his kryptonite, and he can't fucking hit an outside slider to save his fucking life. Um, cause, uh, but it's early. Hopefully we can get that worked out. Um, and Yerman, man, what can you... He's the guy that's going to be kind of carrying this team until everyone else figures out right now. He, like Mahoney said, his approach, for you guys that really don't know baseball that well, uh, especially when playing, he has the perfect approach um, that everyone should kind of kind of learn off of. When he's looking to crush the ball um, and, and plus counts, and then when he gets the two strikes, he doesn't pick up that foot and he just tries to get handsy and barrel the ball. I mean, his his approach is truly and honestly something really cool to watch. Um, so if you guys are kind of cool, like really analytic and watching the game, when he gets the two strikes, watch watch his stance and watch his load, how it changes. Um, super cool to watch. Um, it's early, folks. White Sox are going to win a lot of games this year. Uh, they're going to make the playoffs, so do not worry. It's going to be a long season. Stra- sit down, strap up, and get ready for the ride. I got a couple miscellaneous um, things I want to address, positive and negative. I'll start with the negatives. Yeah, start with negative. My one negative is Tony La Russa. I think he is mishandling this lineup very, very badly. Yeah, I agree. With, with Jake Lamb. Besides, I besides today, I will say today he, today and yesterday he had good lineups. I think Vaughn needs to be playing left field. Like he, he needs to be playing left. He needs to be fucking batting. Yerman needs to be playing until he cannot hit for shit anymore. You don't have a dude that hot in your lineup, and you just don't play him. You don't. I, so that's my one negative. I just haven't liked the way he's been handling the lineup as of late. I mean, now, it, I know. I, now, fuck, Pat. Now you got me going. <laughs> so that game a couple nights ago when it was Bieber versus Giolito literally looked like a lineup that Rick Renneria pulled out of his ass in 2017. It was a brutal fucking lineup that we had Nick Williams, who's not even on the team anymore, Jake Lamb. Uh, Mercedes wasn't playing. Collins wasn't playing. It was just absolutely fucking terrible. And that was, including last year, the worst lineup that I've seen since the rebuild. It was terrible. When you're going up against a Cy Young winner, and you have your number one on the mound, you have your A lineup up 100 times out of 100. Why we had that B lineup crap out there just... It was bad, and I know you guys saw the group chat. I was fired up with that lineup. I was pissed. So I'm going to get you off your – I'm going to calm you down and talk about some positives real quick. One, Zach Collins, a rookie catching a no-hitter, kept his composure, knew exactly what he needed to do. Him and Rodon were locked in together. I tip my cap to you. It's a hell of a way to play. Two, you remember Mercedes. Like I said, he's a blast to watch, and I love that – like, yeah, we love to see him hit. But I love that you guys are trying to break down more of his, like, the way he's responding to certain situations that had a bat. I texted in the group chat the other night when he came in a pinch hit in the ninth inning against Shane Bieber. And it was a, he ended up fighting, like, an, almost an eight or nine pitch at bat. The fact that you're a rookie and have never gone against Shane Bieber before in your life, one of the best, an AL Cy Young, and you responded that well in a bat, you're able to pick up quickly what he's able to do. Right, he grounded out. I said it. I don't give two fucks he ground out. That is a great at bat, and I loved what he's doing. Even Brett, who's an Indians fan, he said he forgot about Yerman, and he almost shit himself when he came up with the pinch in the ninth inning against Beaver. He's like, oh, shit, that's the last guy I want to see in the ninth inning for the Sox when they're down one. Yeah. Or it's tied, actually. 
So, Yerman's been a, a blast to watch, too. And lastly, the bullpen. On fire. Oh, dude. I mean, Kopech did give up his first run today, but he has been lights out. Kopech, I mean, the only negative I can think of is Crochet had a rough, a rough extra. Here, here's, the, here's the thing that I got to say about Crochet. Crochet is a tall motherfucker and is not coordinated one bit. It is so tough for a guy like that to come into a game with nobody out and a guy on second. Because you've seen every single time it's extra innings, the ball comes to him, and he looks like uh, somebody said in the group chat. He looks like fucking Bambi. It's it's not good, and just when he comes into the game with nobody on, he's a little bit better. But then again, you gotta remember this guy was playing college ball a year ago. I mean, it's gonna take him a little bit to adjust. He didn't play any minor leagues, nothing. We just threw him into the fire. So we're gonna see for a guy that played college ball last year, he's doing exactly where I thought he would be right now. Yeah, so obviously that's the only negative I can really think about the bullpen. Matt Foster, Evan Marshall coming in in pretty tough situations, and they're nutting up and they're dealing absolute gas. Kovac Great to see from Foster, out. too, after that first couple games he struggled. Exactly. Like, the bullpen has been phenomenal. I felt very confident turning to our bullpen these past couple games. Like, Dallas. And Hoyer is up. fucking. Yes, Cody Hoyer, oh. too. I forgot about him. That, that trio right there is doing very well. Kopech doing very well. Crochet is growing pains. But in a situation where you have your starting pitcher get scratched 20 minutes before opening or the first pitch, Dallas is probably, I mean, he's sure, is he ready to go physically? Probably. Mentally, Mentally you're not yeah. probably locked in. No. It's like, so you have to rely on your bullpen to come in and do some work, and that's exactly what they did. Yeah. It was a great, I absolutely love the bullpen. And then, too, my last thing, and I want to make sure I heard this correctly, for us, there was a post-game show with Rodon, and he said that Rodon and Collins played against each other in college. Did you hear that, too? Uh, it would make sense because Rodon went to North Carolina State. Collins went to Miami. They do play each other. So it could have been like Collins was a freshman, Rodon was out the door. That's like the, that's like the only way that I could see that happening. Yeah, but I'm 90% sure that's what I heard. And then, too, I, okay, well, actual last thing. I mean, it's hearing the calls. I mean, you, we are we as Sox fans are so lucky. I mean, hearing the call from Vanetti and Stone, hearing it from DJ and Len, like, it's just awesome to see, man. Like, these are great. We have, what do you, we have the best announcers in the world right now. I don't care what anybody says. And, I mean, I went to – from I listened to it live with Benetti, went right to Twitter to look for the one Casper call. It's just phenomenal what we have. It's funny, and, I did the exact same thing. Yeah, like it's just it's it's just awesome, man. Like that last night was a great memory. It was great. I'm never gonna forget it. But hey, like I said, we are we're below five hundred. Relax. We're what, thirteen, fourteen games of the season. We got 150, 145 more games to go. Strap in and enjoy it, man, because baseball is back, and I haven't been this excited. I haven't sat down, and I wouldn't have watched all the Sox teams. Yep. Unless the ones that are around, like, the 12-30 starts where I'm in class or at work. We just sat down and watched them all the time. Like, I haven't felt this enjoyable and enjoyed watching White Sox baseball in a long fucking time. Yeah. So enjoy it while it's here, and it's going to be a great fucking summer. Yeah, so now we're going to flip it to the side of town that's uh, it's not looking good uh, for the north side. Uh God, I, I honestly can't start with anything positive with the Cubs right now. They are dead last in runs, hits, average, on-base percentage, slugging, and OPS. 
Uh, you're not going to score. Well, obviously, they're dead last in runs. You're not going to do anything with being last in average hits. I mean, dead fucking last. It's embarrassing. And the the lineup that they have, we were going into the season saying, fuck, they're still going to perform with this lineup. Again, I'm going to keep the same mentality that I do with the White Sox. It's early in the season. These are professional guys. They'll bounce back. Baez is hitting 200. Rizzo's hitting 171. Hayward's hitting 200. Jock Peterson. Apparently he's playing for the White Sox with section 108 because that's his batting average. 108, Hap's at 143, and Bodie's at 107. I mean, just fuck. It's not good for the Cubs, and it is ugly. Uh, Contreras is finally starting to come around a little bit, uh, but the Cubs are sitting at 5-7, fourth in the Central, only a half game ahead of the Pirates, uh, who are dead last. And just... uh, Hendricks is looking better. Kimbrell's looking better. Trevor Williams and Zach Davies, after having good first outings, got absolutely fucking just hit around. They might be on the DL with sore necks after just the bombs that they were giving up. It's just, it wasn't looking good. I'm hoping that they could bounce back, but what do you guys got so far on the Cubbies? I think it's really interesting. You look at how they kind of started off, and it looks pretty good. We thought they weren't going to kind of be in any trouble because uh, we were kind of saying, if this kind of starts off bad, they might blow this whole thing up and ship everybody out. Um, and then they started to play pretty well uh, right off the bat, and then now all of a sudden they're just falling off a cliff. Um, we threw out that stat uh, last week where they were hitting below the average of the NL pitchers, which is just never a place you want to be um so i i'm not a person that roots against the cubs um and i don't think any of us are i think we kind of want to see chicago sports teams thrive uh because it's tough i think especially being a chicago sports fan um so we are pulling for cubs fans hopefully those guys can figure it out um, and we can kind of see both sides of town winning Yeah, um, so I'm going to go into my little rant about, again, with David Kaplan. He, when the, I really enjoy listening to the radio show, but Kaplan just becomes really two-faced. And so when the, the before the season started, um, and they, they had the re-signing stuff with uh, Anthony Rizzo, I mean, Kaplan got on, he was pissed at the front office. He's like, how the fuck do you do that to the guy with Anthony Rizzo? He's our captain. He's supposed to retire Cub. Went, okay, now 12 games into the season. Right. Yeah. No, so this was before the season even started. Yeah, yeah. And now he's coming out. He's like, well, how the f- why would you even offer them money at this point? They're all three. He's referring to all three of them, Bauer, or, uh, uh, Rizzo, Baez, and Ryan. Why would you offer money to all three of them? Like, what are you even doing? They're, they're, doing, they're producing absolute dog shit. Why would you resign them? Like, two weeks ago, you were bitching a storm up because they offered him $50 million. And now you're out here like you don't even want them, but you want to keep them in the curb. It's Kaplan really grinds my ears. It, I just that's why I like the podcast. I like this event. But regardless, the Cubs give us some time. They're they're not. And it, Rizzo is on Kaplan. I used to be on a thousand every Tuesday. 
just talk with uh, Kaplan, and he's like, he, you can tell by the way he sounded, he's he's upset. He he's pissed at the way they're they're performing as a team, and the Cubs fans are also very pissed at performing as a team. The thing is too, like, what they're five and eight, five and, and seven. seven. They're not. They're sitting there right with the White Sox fan. Like, they're they're lucky to be where they are right now. Be happy where you are now. Once this team gets rolling on the at bats, they're gonna get rolling. Like we said last week's episode, our number one concern with this team going into the end of the season was their pitching, and the pitching is not the greatest, but they're holding. They're holding. Solid. So they can get some run support. Yeah. They can get run support. They'd be just fine. It's it got to give some time, man. I know those numbers are really ugly, and I understand you're currently the laughing stock of the league right now. You just got to hunker down, man. I mean, give it some time, see where this team goes. Like I said, on paper, you have very, very good players that can swing the fucking bat. Just give it some time. And like I said, we're only 15 games in the season. And you got a long way to go. It's it's got to let it happen. It's not pretty. It's got to let it happen. Yeah, definitely. So that does it for baseball on both sides of town. Uh, the Cubbies will be taking on the Braves this weekend, uh, who are also struggling mightily. And the White Sox will be taking on the red-hot Boston Red Sox, who have the best record in the league right now. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, it's going to be nice to see some good competition this weekend. Uh, and now we've got a final from the Detroit-Chicago hockey game. Chicago loses 4-1. to one. What a better way to go into hockey than with a final score. Pat, go ahead and take it away. Yeah, so the Hawks did just lose four to one to Detroit. Um, I think we're gonna go with the panic button stuff. I am very, very close to just not even. There's no need to hit the panic button anymore. I'm kind of beginning to realize where PT has been coming up, coming from for a long time now. At this point, we just lost two huge points to Detroit. It's not looking too good for us to make the playoffs. It's not. I think we have 11, 12 games left in the season. So I'll give a quick rundown. We were on a two-game winning streak. We did sweep Columbus, which was a pretty big blizzard. We need all the points we can get right now. We needed four points in this Detroit series, and we're not going to get it after tonight. Uh, next week is the make-or-break series. We have three games against the Predators, who currently have the spot ahead of us. Predators are red hot. They're 8-2 and two in their last 10 games. And what sucks even worse is they've gone into Tampa – and they've kicked their ass. Now, I will say Tampa's not helping us at all because they benched Vasilevsky, one of practically the best goaltender in the league, when uh, Nashville decided to go to go, to go there and play. So that sucked. But right now, the Central certainly stands. It's the Hurricanes are at 58 points. The Lightnings are at 58 points. The Panthers are at 58 points. So it is a scrap for that top spot. And that last seed, uh, right now the Preds are at 49. The Hawks are still at 45 after not getting anything tonight. With the Stars, the Stars still do have a couple games in hand. Um, they're sitting at 42 points. So right now, it's not looking good. Like I said, we needed these four points against Detroit right now, and we're not going to get it. And next week is going to be make or break because we have a three-game set against Nashville, and I believe we close out the season against Dallas. So it's time to nut up or shut up, and it's not looking too good in this team where the, the panic button's off the table. I mean, I just they're not playing what they want to win right now. It doesn't look good. I'm going to end Hawks' segment on some positive notes. Um, I will say I'm very impressed with Stan Bowman's trade deadline. Agreed, Before 100%. we get into that, I want to give your get your guys' opinion on where this team stands right now with the upcoming schedule that we have and the playoffs right around the corner. So here's my thing with the panic button room. I have always considered it as this season only. So in that case, in my case at least, the panic button is pressed. 
Uh, it's not looking good for the rest of the season. Future-wise, like PT said, we're on a beach drinking a nice little uh, drink. But Pat just – this team is falling apart right now for this season. Uh, but like you said, Stan Bowman had a really good deadline. A uh, lot of good moves. But like you said, I'm not – they PT, every single year we've been here at Carthage, they do this to us. They pull us in, and at the end of the season, shit goes haywire. And just – it's just a routine at this point. But – yeah, it's not looking good for the rest of the season. Who knows? Maybe we can pull something out. But that's all I got for the Hawks. So, PT, what do you got? Boys, I've got two seats next to me. We're on the beach. i got two drinks for you, boys. We've locked the panic room. We're just going to enjoy the rest of the year. Uh, I'm, that's all I'm going to say. Pat, take us into our positives with with this trade deadline. Because I, I, there's a lot moving on. Um, if you guys saw our tweet with uh, our little little uh, meme with Pat writing all the all, all the trade deadline uh, info down, uh, definitely was crazy. So let's, let's take it over, man. Let's let's hear about it. Yeah. So trade deadline did come and go. The pretty big thing is with the Hawks, the way they stand right now, they have a lot of money in cap space because they do not have they're not eating money from Taze, Shaw, or Zebra because they're all in long term IR. So the way that kind of works out in the NHL is that when you have teams like that. They're going to be the ones that are eating a lot of cap for a lot of players. Or for a while, our teams are trying to add on players, given their cap situation. So, last week, we did cover the trade with Florida, where we did – Florida got Lucas Carlson and Lucas Walmark. And we got Brett Connolly, um, who did score his first goal as Blackhawk in Game 2 against Columbus uh, two nights, three nights ago. Got Riley Stillman, as well as the rights to Hendrick, uh, Henrik uh, Borstrom, and a seventh-round pick. When the trade deadline hit, which was Monday – Monday morning, I believe, or Tuesday morning, one of the two. Uh, it started out pretty hot. The Canucks, the, so the, the Hawks sent Matthew Highmore, who is somebody that I liked. My one roommate, uh, Ryan, who was one of our guests a while ago, is very uh, against uh, Matthew Highmore. He gives me a lot of shit for liking him. The Canucks got Matthew Highmore, and we got Adam Gaudet, either Gaudet or Gaudot. I mean, if he's French, it's probably Gaudot. But um, he's, a, he's a bottom six forward. His ceiling is probably the third line, but I like this trade a lot. I think the way Highmore has been playing, he has been producing a lot, and Highmore's ceiling was the fourth line. Highmore wasn't going to be playing a bunch about the fourth. So I like that trade a lot, and I think Gaudet, or Gaudot is going to be able to make a pretty sizable impact for this team whenever he gets to dress. Uh, one of the less attractive ones, which I'm not too big of a fan of this trade, is the Avs. The Avalanche did get back Carl Soderberg. And we got to return Josh Dickinson and the rights to Ryder Holson. Notre Dame, baby, a, let's go! Is a Notre Dame hockey player. I don't know. It's one of the less attractive trades of the deadline. And I don't necessarily care for this trade because Soderbergh's been playing pretty well lately on that power play. That power play unit. He's a great guy to have screening the goaltender in the front of the net. So I don't. Uh, I don't necessarily know. I, I just didn't really care for the trade. I like Soderberg a lot. As I said, it's not one of the sexy trades where it's, we're getting a lot of nice return. The I'm going to say this is the biggest trade of the deadline. Is We did trade Matias Yanmark, who has been very, very good for the Hawks this year. Sent him to Vegas, and we got a second-round pick and a third-round pick. We absolutely fleeced Vegas for this trade. We got more than what we got when we traded Robin Leonard. 
the fact that Sam Bowman was able to flip Matias Janmark for a second and third rounder is a huge, huge victory for the Hawks in the future. And then lastly, the Canucks got Madison Bowie, who is a guy who he had a couple uh, couple times, he's had a couple games up in a Hawks jersey. We traded uh, him and a fifth rounder for a 2021 fourth rounder. So in um, complete with everything involved, the Hawks got Vinny Hinnestroza, Brett Connolly, Riley Stillman, the rights to Henrik Borstrom, Adam Gaudette, uh, as my roommate just texted me saying pronounce the T's, uh, Josh Dickinson. <laughs> A 2021 second, fourth, and seventh rounder, and a 2022 third rounder, and we lost Yanmark, Soderberg, Highmar, Walmark, Carlson, Bowie, Bowie, and Brad Morrison, and a 2021 and 2022 fifth rounder. Overall, a very, very productive trade deadline for Stan Bowman. Uh, we're very vocal a bit against being against Stan, but every Chicago Blackhawks fan needs to tip his cap to him because he had a hell of a trade deadline. I agree, hundred percent. And as for much more, did the Hawks get better? No, I think the team was probably better before they went to the trade deadline. That's why the panic button, I kind of stepped away from this idea because based on the way the team's playing right now and the way we attack this deadline, we're not, I, I just don't see us playing to win anymore. We're not. Which is I fine. Which lot. is fine. Which is, yes, which is hundred percent fine. If we're going to kind of adapt this idea of, Hey, it's not going to be our season. Let's start looking towards next season. Start looking for the draft. Bowman did a hell of a job. The big question was, is the Columbus Blue Jackets traded Nick Fuino to Toronto. So you kind of already begin to see that Columbus is starting to throw in the towel as well, which they're currently below the Hawks in the standings. The big question mark was Nashville. Nashville wasn't doing too hot, and a lot of people were expecting them to be sellers at the deadline. They got hot right before the deadline, and they're still red fucking hot that they didn't make any basically any trades they didn't sell they didn't buy they were, they locked in with who they got that being said it looks like they're in position to take that four spot with the way they attack the deadline so that's my high note i mean it's the way the hawks are playing right now the way the season's panning out is not what we expected based off the way we were playing early on in the season but if there's one positive from all this stuff is stan bowman came through when we needed him to come through and i like the way this team's going to look in the future and the opportunities we have to draft some very high prospects so what do you guys got in the straight deadline I think all I have to really say about this is I think the reason why we're fine with how the deadline kind of played out is that we finally have a sense of direction where where this front office is going with where this front office wants to go with this team, and it's in the future. Um, I think we were kind of teetering back and forth uh, in the beginning with Carlton. Okay, a little bit of future. We kind of understand that they were kind of want to really focus in and develop these young players, and then we made some trades that kind of really was on the opposite end of that. Um, but now, I think with this trade deadline, I think we are definitely looking towards the future. And with that being said, I think I can't be more excited. Um, I think we all are kind of a peace of mind knowing a sense of direction that this team is going. Because for a long time, we were stuck in limbo. And I think we were just like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, so lastly, when it comes to the NHL, there was one, if you want to call it a blockbuster trade, go ahead and call it that. But Taylor Hall, a former number one draft pick, is finding a new home once again. He left the very, very bad Buffalo Sabres team and has found himself in a very nice uh, Boston Bruins jersey where he's going to fit in very well with that team. He scored tonight, too. And he did. Yeah. Like I said, he's a, he's a great talent. If you're talking about fleecing a team for somebody like him, Buffalo really 
didn't get a lot in return for him at all. We technically got more in return from Matias Yanmark than Buffalo did from Taylor Hall. <laughs> if you crunch, it's not, it, was, it wasn't a good look for a team that is bad as Buffalo is right now. And they are struggling. They needed to get a lot back for a guy like Taylor Hall. And they just couldn't do it. Taylor Hall and that Bruins team is going to look very, very, very dominant in the future. So keep that in mind. Cause he's going to be a force we reckon with over there. But with one struggling team in the United center, we have to go to the other side of the court where we have another struggling team in the United Center. Let, let, let me say something real quick. Let me let me just say go something real it. quick. Before we get into all the negative with the Bulls, because there's a lot. It's not looking good. I just want to say, the team, like I've been saying all season, don't worry too much about now. Worry about the future. And in my opinion, this team is going to do very well next year. It doesn't look good right now, but in my opinion, the future looks good with this team. So I just want to say that. I don't want to panic too much about the rest of the season because it's not looking good by any means. So, Pat, go ahead. The Bulls are bad. <laughs> the, Bulls, the, Bulls, the Bulls are bad. Yeah. The Bulls are bad. They're bad. So last time we recorded, they had won two straight. And we're like, okay, let's start making some moves in the struggling Eastern Conference because really – from the four seed down to the eight seed, it is a free for all. I mean, you could be below five hundred and be a fucking five seed going into the Eastern Conference playoffs. It's just that that's the type of season it is. Like it usually is for the Eastern Conference. The Bulls are bad. They've dropped four straight, and there are two games that really stick out to me that most that really piss me off. So we've lost four straight. We're sitting at twenty two and thirty two, ten games below five hundred. We're sitting at the tenth seed of the Eastern Conference. Now I'm not too familiar with the uh, the new playoff rules, Brandon or PT. I'm not sure if you guys are either. I think the 10 seed gets you into a play-in game. So, like, the, if you're a 10 seed, you play the 9 seed, and whoever wins that one, they play the 8 seed to get into the playoffs. It's really weird. I'm not too sure. I'll do more research on that for the following episodes. So let's start with a game that – actually, no, this game, this game sucked to watch. I mean, it, it, was, it was awesome to watch, but it was sucked to swallow the pill that we lost this game. So, like I said, we had won two straight. We had beaten the Pacers, and we would beaten the Raptors. We actually won three straight. We beat the Nets, the Pacers, and the Raptors. So then we went to Atlanta, where Atlanta is currently sitting in the fourth seed in the East Conference. It was a big game that we needed to win. A big game we needed to win. We need our star players to show up. Zach Levine had, like, 40 points in the first half. He was shooting, like, 6 of 7 from the three-point line. He finishes the game with 50 points, 8 rebounds, and 5 assists. Nikola Vucevic finishes the game with 25 points, 10 rebounds, and 2 assists. Colby White had 11 points off the bench. Staderanski had 10 assists, what a point guard should have. Patrick Williams had 4 points. Thaddy Sung had 4 points. And Lori Markin had 5. We were up big, and we blew this game to that Atlanta team. And that, I mean, same same know, shit, different day. Just to know, you had two your two-star players combined for 75 of your 108 points. And you still lost that game? That's a tough pill to swallow, man. That's a big fuck you to Zach Levine and Nicole Vucevic. It really is. And that was a horrible game to see them go. I turned it off. I'm like, Zach Levine's got 35, 40 points in the first half. There's no way we're going to lose. I turn it off and go watch something else. And then I get the word an hour later, the Bulls have lost 120 to 100, 108. How does that happen? I don't get it. Do you guys even want to talk about this game? Or do we want to move to the bigger fuck you game of the Orlando Magic? 
Here, here's what I wanted. I, I would say the Magic game was worse, in my opinion. Yes. Just because we do not, we 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 should not lose to the Magic, and just it was tough. It was confusing to see Wendell Carter Jr. in the Magic uniform because that was the first time I've seen him play for the Magic this year. It was just weird not seeing him in a Bulls uni after all these years. It was just weird, but the Hawks game just. It, I don't even know where to start with that game because it was bad. It was really bad. Zach Levine, like you said, dropped 50. Uh, just as a team, I'm kind of at the point now. I, I'm going to save it for after we're done talking to the game. So, PT, go ahead. It's just kind of interesting. I know we talked about how it's going to take a little bit of time uh, for these two, especially kind of figure out how to play together and the whole team as well. Um, it's kind of confusing, um, and you think that something should be working, and it's just not. Um, and you, you also would think that bringing in a player like this would improve the team dramatically. Uh, it just hasn't so far. So I think we're kind of sitting in limbo right now and kind of seeing what's going to happen. Um, there's some players I think that need to step up um, and kind of fucking grow a sack and play. Uh, <laughs> I mean, just to be simple about it. Um, but... It's, it's, it's interesting. I think I was in the same spot um, I was with the Hawks with the Bulls this year, and they kind of definitely um, surprised me a little bit. Both teams surprised me. Uh, the Bulls were, I think, even a bigger pleasant surprise because of how awful they've been for the last couple of years. And so uh, even though they're playing as well as they are right now, um, you still kind of look at the positives. I think we are kind of built for the future still. Um, and it's always good to know that Zach Levine wants to be in Chicago, too. So, always keep that in the back of your mind. PT's always here to bring the positive sides out of me and Brandon's negative asses. Let's be real. So, after a tough loss to a an okay Hawks team, we go a very, very bad Minnesota team. They're struggling bad. This is a perfect rebound game for the Bulls. And what do we do? Lose. We fucking lose. Zach Levine, 30 points, 7 boards, 6 assists. Nikola Vucevic, 18 points, 5 boards, 5 assists. Thaddeus Young had 9 and 8. Patrick Williams had 4 points in between these two games. He had 4 points against the Hawks. He had 0 against the Timberwolves. That can't happen. Staderaski had 10 points. Daniel Tice had 13 off the bench. Kobe White had 11 off the bench. Troy Brown had 15 off the bench. And Laurie Markin had 8 off the bench. It's just not not what we need. Now we need we that was the game we needed perfect game to bounce back on couldn't happen so what do we go we go to a Grizzlies team that is doing they're not doing too shabby over there in the they're West all, yeah they're solid we had a better showing a better well rounded showing from our team twenty one four and nine from Zach seventeen and ten from uh, Vucevic twenty and one from Thad Young Patch Williams has gone three games and scored a total of six points he had two points in this game Daniel Tice had eighteen points off the bench. We lost, again, 101-90 to the Memphis Grizzlies. Let's go into last night's debacle against the Orlando Magic. This is a team that hit the full rebuild button at the trade deadline. The full rebuild button at the trade deadline. The Bulls should have no issues beating this team who was manned by, like, Otto Porter, who didn't even fucking play, Wendell Carter, who didn't know what the fuck defense was in Chicago, uh, Cole Anthony, who he's, I mean, I'll tip my cap him. He's looking pretty damn good this year. 
And what do we do? We have a prime opportunity to finally try to get some get another win in the win column, and we lose 106 to 115. Wendell Carter had 19 points, 12 boards, and four assists. He like, went where the Chicago fuck was that when he was with Chicago? You know, one of the first things that came to my mind is when we got rid of uh, Leonard Floyd. Look at him out in LA right now. That is and true. He, that's the first thing I thought of. We trade Wendell. He does a big fuck you to the Bulls in this game. We trade Leonard Floyd. He's out here getting a fat extension and a fat bonus for getting a bunch of sacks over in L.A. It sucks. It sucks. I mean, the Bulls' stat line was, again, it's Vucevic and Zach Levine, and that's it. Tice is our third best scorer right now. He had 19 that night, and then Zach had 30. Vucevic had 29. Here, here's, it comes to a point oh, time. It comes to a point in time where, like, Zach and Levine, Zach and Vucevic are always going to be there to put up a fuck ton of points. But, I mean, you you need some help, man. Kobe Dwight and Zach and Maury Marketing, you guys need to wake the fuck up. There's Something has to be done. And I would, if we're going to, I'll, I'll try to be like PT right now. Look at the bright side. This team is a lot better from what they were when Jim Boyle was coaching. Billy Donovan, I still feel like he's the right man for the job. People that are already saying, oh, trade this person, trade this person, fire Billy Donovan. No. At the end of the day, we are upset with these losses, which we should be because we should be beating a team like the Orlando Magic. But we're not going to be a team that's making a run. We're, we're substantially a couple pieces off of being a contender in the Eastern Conference. We are. We, we all know that. But when it comes to seeing us lose to teams like the Orlando Magic, it sucks. And we have reasons to be upset about it. But we do know that we're not a contender. And this is a long-run process we need to look at. What do you guys got? So here's my thing. I'm done commenting about the games because I don't want to get upset again. But th- this is what I, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see if the Bulls go this route. And I would, I, and th- this is what I think the Bulls should do. We got Colby White and Laurie Markkinen, who are like the final two pieces that we haven't let go. That's kind of like, hey, let's see what this guy can do. We got rid of uh, Wendell. Uh, Otto, I guess, was kind of a part of that, but he's gone as well. But my thing is, is I think that we might be done for the season. It's not looking good. Why not? have Colby and Lori start again and see what they can do. And this is the last, this is like their last exam of the season. They're going to go up, see what they can do, especially Lori. Cause Lori has been so inconsistent this year that see if he can put something together. And if not, just let him walk and Colby the same way. He's even more inconsistent than Lori is. Colby is the most inconsistent player, in my opinion, that I've watched all year. That I've watched in a long time, actually. And just see what he can do. And if not, trade him for a bag of chips in the offseason and call it just call it the way it is. So that's what I got with the Bulls. PT, what do you got? I think kind of touched on it earlier. I mean, there's two players that need to wake the fuck up. Pat did too. Um, it's kind of almost getting to a point where it's inexcusable. Uh, and it's getting really frustrating. Uh, I know I was trying to be as positive as possible, but it's just plain fact that these two, you're not going to, you're looking at teams here across the board in the NBA um, that are successful. And it's because they're either all five players are contributing or they have people off the bench. Um, and the, you're just not going to win with two people scoring 40 points each. 
It's not going to happen, no matter who the fuck you play. Uh, so it's kind of it's 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 just kind of a wake up call. Um, and I think yeah, I think it is a little bit concerning the fact that Kobe White isn't producing the way we, we the way we think we should. Um, so I, I don't really know how to attack it else because uh, I guess it's kind of just a thing you got to wait and see with Kobe. Is he going to fucking step up or is he not going to be good? Yeah, I mean, the NHL and NBA season are coming to an end pretty shortly. I think I said we got like 12 or 13 games left in the NHL, and I think we're sitting around 18 or 19 games left in the NBA. So it's going to be – everything's going to be moving pretty rapidly. We're going to get a real understanding for what our two United Center teams are going to be looking like for the, the back end of their regular seasons pretty soon. So we're going to close it out with a couple more happier things, some miscellaneous things to look forward to, and to recap on, PT, why don't you take it away? Yeah, so – I believe yesterday it was announced that the NCAA uh, was reversing their transfer rule. So I don't know um, if some of our OG listeners remember there was a big thing where Luke Ford, uh, Luke Ford, the tight end for Georgia, transferred to Illinois, and he was declined. Um, his uh, he, he wrote a letter to the NCAA explaining why he was transferring to Illinois to be close to his family. He's grandfather was dying um and he wanted his family to be able to watch him play football he was declined to play uh that year um but justin fields was automatically cleared to play at ohio state um and a lot of other people i mean i think this rule was hated across the board so what the rule was um is you could if you transferred um you had to sit out a year and now it has been flipped uh that every ncaa player has a one transfer uh is eligible to transfer once without a penalty uh so what that means is they can transfer and play the next year um and i think that this is really uh main mainly been reversed because of how many people are in the transfer portal right now people are saying that this is the most i mean this is the busiest a transfer portal has ever been um and if this rule was still in place i don't think a lot of people would have found a home to play at um and i think definitely think that now i think a lot of people will be able to transfer freely um and it's never a bad thing okay it, it was a bad rule um and I'm, I'm just thankful that they kind of flipped it because now that people are going to be able to not really kind of waste a year of their life there if some of these people are going to be going professionally um so if you guys are really have anything that's i just want to throw that out there i think that's huge for the ncaa um so Congrats to them. That's definitely a positive move in the right direction because they don't do very many positive moves. It's true. The NCAA does not make a lot of positive moves, and this definitely is one of them. So it is good to see. To kind of wrap up the show with uh, two notes, um, we do have a little, little bit of Masters recap here, boys. I don't know about you. I sat down. I woke up. As like I said, Thursday mornings, my early mornings. I'm up usually at 630. Um, turned on the Masters right at 8 a.m. when I got to work. I don't care who the fuck's seen off that am. I don't care if it's nobody. I'm there to watch. Watching Augusta for four days is a great time. There's nothing better than it. Um, so we did a really cool experience. Hideki Masayama, the first Japanese-born player to win the Masters in a green jacket. The dude played lights out. I think towards in the, the the last, I mean, bogeyed hole one in the fourth the, on Sunday. Then towards the back end. He had, a, he had a rough couple goes, and they're like, okay, maybe Xander Shoffley or uh, Will Slatoris, uh, who's a very, like, 24-year-old, they might have a chance to make a run for this. Um, so it got a little bit interesting, but ultimately, was it the most exciting Masters? It wasn't, but, I mean, hey, just to hear about the Masters being back on TV, seeing the fans there, having a full slate, obviously, is a little bit different without somebody like Tiger there. 
but it was a great recap. A couple fun facts for you right now that I did uh, read about over the weekend. The Masters, they don't, them and CBS have a mutual deal. They're not paying each other money to host the Masters. They get about $30 million in, in revenue just from people coming and stuff like that. They could generate north of like $250 million in revenue if they were to utilize uh, ads. Like if you realize when you watch the Masters, you don't see any commercials. There's no ads around the course. They have a lot of opportunity to make a boatload of money off the Masters. They don't do it out of like the legacy and the respect for the game. As me being a little bit of a bigger guy, I love to see the idea. If you look at the menu um, at the Masters, uh, it is like a chicken sandwich is like three dollars, like a soda is like a dollar. You go, that's that's a fifteen dollar meal right there at the ballpark. It's it's awesome to see. Um, I think one of my favorite moments, obviously Masiyama won. It was awesome to see him win. It was awesome to see DJ put that uh, that green jacket on him. Coolest thing though is his uh, caddy. Hundred percent. Awesome, absolutely awesome moment. Uh, uh, Masiyama's walking off to go to the clubhouse to get his green jacket, and his uh, caddy is here ready to go. He puts, he takes the flag down to keep the flag off the pole, um, or the pin, I should say. He's going to put the pin back in the 18th hole, puts it in, takes his hat off, and bows to the course to show respect. Absolutely awesome moments. I mean, there's nothing better than the Masters. I don't care if you if you love golf or you don't. It's one of those things that I granted for other for other that and the Ryder Cup I can watch pretty pretty easily. Um, any of the other ones I don't really care for. I'll be honest with you, but the Masters is something awesome. I love to watch it. You guys got anything on the Masters? The Masters is something that comes. I mean, I remember as a kid growing up was one of the things you always watched um, when I was growing up specifically. Um, and now it's kind of grown into this thing where obviously with sports betting, it makes it a lot more interactive, um, and all this different stuff. Um, I have one issue though with the masters and I think it's kind of a nationwide issue is the TV scheduling is absolutely dog shit. I luckily enough have ESPN plus where I'm able to watch the feature groups when it's not, um, kind of, and here's the issue. Nothing will ever be perfect with TV. We see it with MLB. Um, and so I, I'm guessing I'm just kind of throwing this out into the middle of the sea and it's never going to be fixed. But the fact that you have to wait till 3 to watch um, watch it on TV instead of watching it on ESPN Plus, for example, is, is, is kind of annoying um, because I think it is something – you can compare it easily uh, to the Super Bowl, to the World Series, uh, to the Stanley Cup. It's, it's basically that for the golf uh, golf world, and the fact that it's only shown for four hours a day is kind of kind of getting away with murder, in my opinion. I think that it should be aired all day. For the, for the four days that's on, it's, it's special, it's beautiful. And for if you're not a golfer, um, and you guys didn't watch, or you're not into golf, and you really didn't watch it for this whole Masters, it's incredible to watch how that whole course changed um, the first couple of days, people couldn't even hit on the green without it rolling off. The course was so dry and so hard, and just a little bit of rain came in, and people started to score very easily. So it's just so fun to watch. Um, like I said, sports betting has just made it so much more interactive, and I think pulled in a whole different crowd. Um, and it's such a special, special thing. Amen, corner. It's it's amazing. <laughs> if you don't, if you guys haven't picked it up yet, I have a man crushing the Masters. I love golf. It's a great thing. Great thing for sports. Yeah, PT said it best. I will say with the TV schedule, it, it is it is tough. Um, you need ESPN Plus or you need um, Paramount 
Plus, I guess it's called now. It's not CBS All Access anymore. I'll be honest with you guys. I didn't use CBS uh, or Paramount Plus till Sunday. Their entire Masters, I'm watching on the Masters.com. Like I said, I understand with the TV deals, like we just talked about, they're not there to make money and stuff like that. I get that. But, I mean, if you're trying to get a lot of attention to the Masters, you do need to find some way out where you're not only – you're only able to watch the featured golfers. You're only able to watch the 15th or 16th hole or stuff like that. I do agree with PT there. Like I said, I'm usually just using the Masters.com uh, online to watch the first four rounds until Sunday rolled around. I want to hear Jim Nance uh, make that final call. But so the Masters is awesome. Uh, it was awesome to have it in November, then have it right back again in April. So it's going to be a long year without it. Um, but I'm, like I said, I can't wait for next year, and it's going to be a fucking blast to watch. Yeah, definitely. So we're going to close out to the show with a little bit of video game talk. It is currently 9.30 p.m. on April 15th. The show is coming out in an hour and a half. It'll be ready to go on PS4. I know Pat has it on Xbox Game Pass, and he will not be able to play it till Tuesday, right? Or Monday? I think it's Monday. I'm not too sure, though. One of those days. But I, I myself am a huge MLB The Show guy. I know PT is also. Uh, Pat, we're welcoming you into the world. Uh, welcome. I know it's big. It is huge for MLB The Show to be moving to uh, Xbox and having cross-platform and all that good stuff. So it's going to be a good year for MLB The Show. Uh, for everybody that does play it, get ready for those early season glitches. Uh, it's it's going to be fun. Every year there's something. I remember last year it was the outfielders wouldn't catch the ball. They just would refuse to catch the ball. So that was that was an aggravating one. Hopefully the servers go well tonight. Hopefully everything goes well. But it's a big night. It's like Christmas all over again. Do you guys have anything to close out on? It'll be the show. It's pulled up on my TV right now. The clock now strikes one hour, 34 minutes, and 17 seconds. I'm excited. I will probably be playing for quite a bit amount tonight. Um, and it's always kind of fun to run into those things. There's always going to be an issue. Yeah. Uh, it's oh, going to be tonight. Um, and I think that – and for people that are into games too, I, this whole cross-platforming thing just is a game changer. You're able to play with all your friends and everything, and it's a great time. Um, the show is kind of one of those last games that you couldn't do that. Now that you can, I think it's. I think this game's going to absolutely explode. Um, everyone's so excited for it. It's so hyped up, and it's going to be great. I'm very, very excited. Like I texted in the group chat earlier, MLB The Show has been a PX4, PlayStation exclusive for quite some time now. I remember texting probably in 2019 when we first started the podcast, the news broke that they signed a deal with Microsoft, and it was going to move to PC or move to Xbox and PC. And I'm like, hey, I've been talking a lot with Brandon. I'm just trolling, though, because I know I'm not going to be good. Like I said, I haven't played an MLB game since the 2K games on, like, Xbox 360 when, like, Roy Halladay was on the cover. Oh, those were the days. I'm very, very excited to jump into it. I know I'm going to get my ass handed to me, uh, but I'm excited to play it, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of shit talk once uh, we all start playing together. We start talking shit and using our ultimate teams. So I'm stoked. Um, If you're into video games, like I said, PT said, cross-generation, cross-platform, cross-everything. The fact that I'm able to play on my Xbox with Brandon and PT over on their PlayStation, this is awesome. I'm stoked for it. I can't wait to come out. Sadly, it's coming out like a week and a half before finals and all my final projects are due and my final exams are coming, but we'll we'll make do. We'll make do. So I'm stoked. I can't wait. Yeah, me and PT do have finals next week, so that is also 
a little bit of a wrench in our plans, but fuck it. Uh, who needs school anyways? Uh, so once again, thank you guys for listening. Uh, make sure to check us out on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and make sure to listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasting needs. Thank you guys for listening, and we will catch you in the next one. Peace. Peace out. Austin Jackson back looks up. You can put it on the board. Yeah. Taves center for Kane. He's gone. Oh, Patrick Kane set up by Jonathan Taves. The dynamic duo comes through in overtime. Hawk wins. Looking. Finds Rose. Rose trying to get open. Fires away. Key to the 20, breaks free of the 25, to the 30, to the outside.